Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic's great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Wurzlow. Got it out to a oh. kick, kick smothered, check, Hunter. Who would have thought the sequel would be just as good as the original? Kicks inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a player. Shank needs to be in perfect the the premiers of 1992. The 1994 premiers. Premiers. The 2018 AFL Premiership team. The West Coast Eagles. Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Big Footy Eagles podcast. We've got a massive updates. We celebrate Adam Simpson's 150th game in charge of the mighty West Coast Eagles. And of course, we will look ahead to the round eight clash with Collingwood. All the while answering your questions throughout the show. I'm your host, Honey Badger 35 and joining me this week is Mr. KK. How are you going? Yeah, I'm good to be here. It's um, 10 in a row, as you say, and those uh, dark days when they were prematurely celebrating drawing level in the derby count seem a long time away. I had the the joy of watching that game during the little pause in the season, that shutdown period. I went through and watched a couple of old Eagles games and one of them was that one where they were going to even the ledger. My goodness, what a great game that was. It's been great ever since. We will, of course, get stuck into the derby recap very shortly. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can do so through Twitter at WCEBFpod. You can get in contact with us on Big Footy, on iTunes, and now on Spotify as well. Well, so any of those would be greatly appreciated. Get in contact with the show, share your thoughts. If you'd like to come on the show, shoot us a message and we'll see what we can do. But other than that, KK, let's get on with it and recap yet another victory over Fremantle. West Coast Eagles 9-8-62 defeated the Fremantle Dockers 5-2-32. KK, the last time we saw a derby, Fremantle could not kick a goal to save their life. This time 5-2, a nice accurate performance from the Dockers, and yet it didn't matter one iota. The Eagles had the game under control pretty much from the second quarter onwards. They largely did it in cruise control for the majority of the second half. Defence, the game plan, the structures all really started to come to the fore and, and look much more like the Eagles of old. What did you take away from the Freo game? Yeah, it was a nice solid win, really. It's always good to get one over over Fremantle, and it's it's so important in this run of home games we've got that we, we can't really afford to drop any of them. So to get a, a win under the belt, as you say, it was a bit sketchy early. Fremantle looked like they were up and about, and they had a bit more intent than us in the first quarter. But we steadied. We somehow managed to get the lead at quarter time, even though we'd played so badly. And then from then on, yeah, as you say, I think – it was a fairly dominating performance in the the two areas where we expected to have dominance is really in the ruck and in our forward line. And as the game wore on, that just became more and more apparent. Nat Nui had a great game. We had Darling, Kennedy and Waterman kick eight of our goals. And yeah, Fremantle didn't really get a sniff in after that. The defence took care of the rest. Yeah, let's start with that forward line. We, we touched on it last week as a possible area that the Eagles could exploit. Fremantle, of course, are missing several of their key defenders, which I'm sure you will not have forgotten if you've gone over to the Freo board lately. They will not shut up about it. We get it, you're injured, but what was your excuse the last nine times out, guys? Uh, we'll start with Josh Kennedy. So I picked Josh Kennedy last week for best on ground. I'm just going to absolutely clang, drop that one in there straight off the bat. Thanks very much. Best on ground, JK. Four goals, four. He could have had way more. It could have been a very, very memorable day. But 
KK, like you said just there, Waterman, a terrific game at both ends of the field, to be honest. Jack Darling, we saw a little bit more mongrel out of him, a bit of grunt, and the big boys have kicked eight of our goals between them. Really nice day for the key forwards after a few lean weeks for that group. Yeah, absolutely. And so it was it was highlighted by my Freo fans as friends as um, an area where they were really going to struggle. And I ever, I ever felt that if we ever got a stage where we could get enough ball out of the middle, enough ball into our forward 50, then they would have no answer for that. And, and so it proved. So let's take a look at Josh Kennedy very quickly. There's been a lot of chat on the Eagles board about whether he's slowing down. Indeed, that's a concept I think that's followed him over the last few years, uh, specifically last year and now into the early stages of 2020. But there is the concept that he's slowing down. He did start the season very quietly, zero goals, one goal, and one goal in the first three games. Since then, he's gone four goals, one against the Power, which looks like a fantastic return against a good team. Zero goals, three against Sydney. Really nice general play, terrible accuracy. Uh, similarly, the following week, one goal, three against the Crows could have had way more. Now four goals, four. Josh Kennedy is only a few goals off the Coleman lead. He's kicked a staggering number of behinds in recent weeks. Are we, as a fan base, a little bit spoiled by just how good his best is? Are we not recognising that even Josh Kennedy, you know, at this stage of his career, maybe he's winding down a bit? But I still think he's up there with one of the best forwards in, in footy. Are we just a little bit spoiled with our expectation here? Absolutely. There's a lot of clubs that would kill for 2020 Josh Kennedy, and including one that we're playing this week. As you say, it's the accuracy that's kind of let him down. He's a lot of the rest of his players looked look really good, and he's still getting the best defender every week. Um, we're, we're probably still a little too focused on him as well to our detriment. But when he's when he's getting the, the shots, and those behinds will turn into goals. He's historically been pretty accurate, and even his misses they they haven't been that that bad apart from a horrendous one against Sydney. And th- those goals will come. I, I would like to see later in the season, how we'd look without Kennedy in the team. And I expect we will get that. At some point, we'll be rotating players out. And say, if Oscar Allen spent the whole game as full forward, what that would look like. I think we need to know that going forward. But for now, yeah, I'm happy with Kennedy up there and he deserves to retain his spot as the, the leader of our forward line. Let's swing it to the other end of the field now and we'll talk about the defence I've been championing them over the last few weeks that there has been a bit of a a change there in terms of they're pushing up the field. I've used the phrase imposing themselves on the game. And I think we saw that again, KK, on the weekend. A lot more intercept marks, a lot of ball use very high up the field, inside 50s from defenders, marks on the wing, link-up play on the wing. You only have to look at the numbers. I'm going to quickly run you through the mark numbers now for our defenders. Shannon Hearn, 10. Shepard, 10. Tom Barras, 10. Jake Waterman had 10, and a lot of those were in the back line particularly late. Uh, Liam Duggan, 8. Jackson Nelson, 8. Jeremy McGovern, 7. There are a lot of marks in the back line, which shows that the game plan is really getting back to what it was at its best. We're keeping the ball well. We're choking teams out. You know, we're denying them the opportunity to do what they want to do with it as well. The Eagles, perhaps of 2018, that game style of playing the game on our terms is back. Is that fair to say? Yeah, we've looked like the team of old the last few weeks in the back half. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what's changed. It, it's clearly a coaching instruction of some point that the guys, are, particularly Duggan and Cole, are pushing them much higher up the field. We've got rid of that implied pressure corralling rubbish and actually uh, are tackling and, and causing turnovers in dangerous positions. And the the other side of that is pushing those faster, more mobile guys up onto the wing 
giving that pressure has allowed Hearn, McGovern, Barras to, to sit back where they're comfortable reading the play in front of them and getting disrupted entries for the other team coming into their forward 50 that our guys are just being able to mop up. So we look much better structured. And then you've got uh, Brad Shepherd, who's probably been our best player across the season, um, just, just doing his thing. He's, yeah, one of my favourite players. He's a footballer's footballer. He does all the... All the things right, keeps always keeps his feet, doesn't fumble, does all, does all the one percent stuff, and doesn't take any of the plaudits. And he sees probably got a bit lost in uh, the praise we've had for the guys that have stepped up, but he's been as, as good as ever as well. Just while we're discussing that backline group, we have a question here from Carbine Chaos on Big Footy. Carbine asks, why is it that that Duggan Nelson Cole trio has worked so well? Because that is a group that we've seen really lift over the last few weeks. Uh, Duggan's pretty well cemented in the best 22, but Nelson and Cole are guys that have had their moment then fallen away on the cusp. They might get a game, they might get a a month of footy here and there, but they've never really managed to fully cement themselves over the last couple of years as no-brainer best 22 options. And yet, KK, these are the guys that have really noticeably lifted. Nelson's getting votes on the weekend from the board. He's getting votes in the Glendinning Allen medal, I believe, as well. Really starting to get some recognition. Tom Cole quietly going about his business, but Whilst the Shepherds and the McGovern's and the Barassas sometimes take all the headlines, your Doug and Nelson Cole trio are doing a lot of work of late. Why is it that you think that mixture's works so well? I think that the coaches have sort of given them the direction and the belief to be more aggressive. And all three of those guys are pretty naturally physically aggressive players that, that love the tough stuff, love putting pressure on the opposition. Then you've got Duggan and Cole who um, are very attacking when they have the ball in hand as well. And I think we've just... A, structured it to allow them to play their natural game and the game that suits them to, to the best of their abilities. And our success is when we've had guys in the team doing their role and having the best person to do a particular thing within that team. And for what we've got at the moment, if we want to have some guys push up and pressure around that midfield, then those three are the ones that it, that can do it. They're um, physically aggressive players. They like tackling. They're quick enough not to get run around in the middle. And, yeah, we're just allowing them to play their best game. Just as we close out on the defence, I've got a stat here about our number of marks. Now, there was a trend that was flying around throughout the Premiership season of 2018, and that was when the Eagles that year eclipsed 90 marks as a team, they won all of their games. We were 100% winning record above 90 marks. Uh, So that was sort of the benchmark, and it it proves that we were controlling that game and playing it at our pace. Our record marks that year in 2018, 131 in a game. We, We took 131 marks as a team against the Bulldogs. Now, you look on the weekend against Fremantle. As a team, the Eagles have taken 111, so 20 shy of a mark from two years ago. Keeping in mind, of course, these are shortened quarters as well. If you extrapolate it out to a full game time, it would go up to about 139 marks. So I think that is about as well as we've seen the Eagles slow the game down and play it on those terms. There is still perhaps some scope to be a little bit more aggressive with the kicking, but I just think it is it is really starting to click now. And more than ever, I'm starting to appreciate that I think the Eagles are built on their defense first rather than the headline-catching guys at the other end of the field, like your Kennedys and Darlings or the Shoeys and Yos in the middle. KK, I actually think it is our defense that really is proving to drive the team this year and hopefully for the rest of 2020. As we finish up on the Frio game, one last stat, KK. I'll bring you in on this one. It's a trend we've seen 
over the years, and it's another one we started to see in the last three weeks. Against Sydney, I mentioned the Eagles went on a 38-0 run. Against Adelaide, a 22-0 run. Last week against the Dockers, 25-0 and as much as a 41-6 run. So it is, again, that patch of football that we're seeing. The Eagles don't trade you two goals for one. We trade one goal for one, and then we just break it open with four, five, six of our own in a row. Do you think that is sustainable or do you think it's a mark of perhaps who we've played against in the recent weeks? I think you've got to take the opposition into account. Every game we've had, even against Gold Coast and, and Port, we we have 10 minutes of scintillating football in every game and we do score heavily in that, that period of time and just go, why the, why the heck can't we do that for, for longer? Um, and so the last couple of games we have, but I think you do need to take into account the opposition for that. We need to see a consistent higher level coming into these next few games against tougher teams. Moving on to some news now. It has been a massive news week for the West Coast Eagles and indeed for the competition in general, both men's and women's. And we will start things off, KK, with some AFLW news this evening. So to start things off, we've got an update on the drafting and the draft order for the AFLW as it relates to the Eagles. The Eagles and Richmond have been granted some special assistance, a, a sort of an additional supplementary draft pick, I suppose you could call it, to do with the fact that last season was their first season in the competition from a wins and loss point of view there was a little bit of struggle from the Eagles as well as the Tigers as well so they've been given special assistance the Eagles have wound up with draft pick number 16 Uh, that is an additional draft pick at the end of the first round and they have to trade it for a ready-made player already on a list they can't be taking that pick themselves now my understanding is that the pick can be combined with a player or with another draft selection but all in all KK I think it's, it leaves the Eagles with a pretty strong draft hand as they build into this second year. So they, they currently have pick two. They've got this new pick 16. They've got pick 18 and 32 all to themselves as well. It's a strong enough draft hand. I think they're probably going to look to flip it for perhaps a key forward or, or a ready-made player in, in that regard. The key forward for me was probably the area that let the Eagles AFLW side down last season. So it'll be interesting to see what they do on that front, but certainly a very strong draft hand at the very least. The AFLW list lodging, drafting, all of that starts to get underway in the next couple of weeks in the early stages of August. So we'll keep an eye out for that one. If we move things along to the men's competition now, we've seen a massive fixture drop this week. No more one week at a time bullshit. We have a month of footy on the horizon. Lock it in. And KK... It brings with it 20 consecutive days of football. Quite a change, something we're perhaps used to in other sports, your basketball, sometimes your soccers, not ever with AFL. So what do you make of their decision to go to this massive blockbuster consecutive nights of football? Well, it's really not helping the rampant alcoholism that's taken hold of most of society since COVID joined <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be very uh, tempting to sit down with a, with a couple of beers and watch footy for 20 days in a row. I think they've done the right thing. They've been backed into a corner all season trying to get these fixtures out and each week the restrictions become tougher in terms of what teams can travel and also they've got less flexibility because you're reducing that number of opponents that each team hasn't played yet and if they can take the opportunity to just jam it in there and get these games played then I can understand them doing it. It sounds like there's been a reasonable amount of feedback from teams in hubs that they would prefer this method 
even at the the risk of injuries to their players, which is something I'm sure we're going to see come up in the next few weeks, unfortunately. And it may, may well just be a war of attrition and whoever's got the last healthy team standing at the point at the end of the season could be um, sitting in the driver's seat. So let's run through these fixtures as they relate to the West Coast Eagles. We've got our Collingwood game coming up, which we will discuss at the end of the pod. But just of these new fixtures that have dropped, we know now that the Eagles will face Geelong first up in round nine. Interestingly there, KK, the Cats will be playing off a very, very short week. So the Cats play this week on Monday so the day after our Collingwood game, and then they turn around and play the Eagles the following Saturday. So a really crunched down week there for the Cats. That could be an advantage for West Coast. Moving on from the Cats game, they have a bye, but it's not really a traditional bye because they've fit in around 10 of midweek fixtures. There's no weekend fixtures whatsoever. So whilst the Eagles are missing a round, they're actually not missing a week. They then play on Sunday against Carlton. Carlton will be coming off a similar amount of rest, having had a bye themselves. The Eagles will then play the Hawks, and most likely after that, it hasn't been locked in, but there are suggestions that they will then move on and play the GWS Giants at home. It's a difficult fixture in a way. The Cats in great form. The Giants should have sorted themselves out by then. And then, you know, you're playing Carlton on a level playing field who've turned a corner recently. The Hawks is always a team that the Eagles have struggled with. And yet, KK, as I look at it as a group of four, possibly five games, if you include the Giants, They're all winnable for their own reasons, and this needs to be the period, if the Eagles are serious, that they need to really start getting some results. Yeah, there's there's very few really shit teams this season, and we've unfortunately played all of them, excepting North. So we're getting into that that stage where, every, say, every game's winnable, every game's also losable if we're not switched on, and we really need to make the most of these home fixtures. Reading the tea leaves on what the remaining rounds are going to look like, with all these four- and five-day breaks, I think you can expect more of the same. And if we've got a buy in this block of fixtures, then we're going to have some pretty rough fixtures to, to close out the season against some decent teams. And we're not going to get them all in Perth. We're going to be hubbing somewhere, whether that's Tasmania or Queensland or whatever it is to play those. So we absolutely have to win all of our home games right now. And and they are all winnable. And Ge- Geelong are kind of in good form, but they've got their injury tolls Staying away up. Carlton have been much improved this season, but we're at home. We should take care of that. And, and Hawthorne seem to be trending downwards, and we really owe them for last season. So I'd hope the guys be fired up for that one. And then, of course, we've got the, the big game this week that we'll talk about. Absolutely. Now, with as you touched on there, with this announcement, it does seem likely the Eagles will have to head back out on the road at some point. We saw Adam Simpson approach the topic a little bit this week when asked, and he did hint at the fact that if we were to hub again, go for an interstate hub somewhere, he might not take the full list, just given how some of the players went in the hub. Uh, I know it's been a prominent conspiracy theory, or certainly theory on this podcast, that Jeddah probably left the hub early, and there's a couple of guys perhaps that it didn't agree with, a couple of the more senior players. So we've seen some clubs not bring players for one reason or another. We've seen other clubs send players home or allow players to go home for their own reasons as well. If the Eagles do face a second stint in a hub, it'll certainly be interesting to see how they approach it. But given they've had a bit of experience in the field, I'm sure they'll be equipped to approach it. But the main thing, like you said, make hay while the sun shines. Let's win these games at Optus. Now, Moving along to the next piece of news, it is a very, very significant one in the scheme of the club's history, in the scheme of the club's records. That is that today on SEN, it was discussed and indeed 
all but confirmed that Shannon Hearn is likely to sign a one-year deal for 2021. Now, he's currently 15 games away from Dean Cox's game's record. He's 24 games off the 300. If he does indeed go on to 2021, KK, are we looking at the club's first 300 gamer? I really hope so, but I'm not as confident as I was at the start of the season just with the way his his form's been trending. Although we have seen a few more encouraging signs in recent weeks and maybe a bit spoiled as to how good his form was over the last couple of years, the, the, the drop-off seems a little more noticeable. Um, I really hope he makes it. He's been a great captain, a great servant of the club, and he still has a lot to offer. So fingers crossed he, he finds his form and and stays healthy and gets through to that 300 games. We, we've seen across our history our senior players can really fall off a cliff when they get to this stage of their career, and I, I hope for, for Shannon's sake that he, he doesn't fall into that trap and he gets to be our first 300. I think he'd be a, a worthy recipient of that honour. Now, away from the concept of him chalking up 300 games, the concept of giving him that one-year deal just to be around the club, obviously, Shuey's taken over the reins as captain, but I do like that he's still there to lean on a little bit as, as, a, as a veteran, as a leader. Do you think that it is a good deal just to have him around the club, even if he isn't perhaps cemented in the best 22 going forward? If he drops off even more, perhaps, you might see some guys start to replace him. That said, would you like to see Shannon Hearn take on a little bit more of a role in the coaching box with the reserves team, helping the young defenders? Is there a role for Shannon Hearn outside of game day? I think so. As a, as a captain, you obviously have those sort of qualities to be a bit of a leader and a mentor and you would have that respect of all the guys within the club. So I think he'd have, have plenty to offer either on field or, or off field um, supporting the next generation of uh, defenders coming through to replace him. Uh, he, he seems a pretty pretty switched on and, and learned bloke. So I, I definitely see he's got some some of that skill set to be a, a successful coach either with us or whatever his, uh, his future endeavours would be. But I, I, yeah, definitely, there's value having him around next season, even if he doesn't play enough games to get to 300. The club would be better for it. Another piece of West Coast Eagles history on the horizon, and that is this week, Adam Simpson set to notch his 150th game in charge of this great club. Simo, of course, taking over from John Worsfold at the start of the 2014 season. Uh, record-wise, that was his worst season at 11-11. and 11. Not bad for a worst-up effort because from there, KK, it's been pretty much an unmitigated success. 2015 was a fantastic turnaround. We made the grand final. I know it ended in disappointing fashion, but a really, really strong foundational year for what we have then seen in recent seasons, turning into that 2018 success, turning the club around after a a pretty lean 2017, I think it's fair to say, and into the point where the last couple of seasons we have been one of the real powerhouse clubs of the competition yet again. You look at his standing against the other Eagles coaches, his 64.77% win ratio at the moment, that is the best amongst all coaches, outside of my boy Jamie Graham, of course, who has a perfect one from one. But yeah, Malthouse, 64.6%, so right on his heels. Uh, John Worsfold, 53.38, rounds out the top three. KK, Adam Simpson, he's not coached as many as the Malthouse as the Worsfolds, but he's had a great deal of success. He looks like he's got plenty of games left in him and, and plenty of respect, certainly with the current group and I believe with the fan base as well. Where do you see him sitting at the moment in the in the hierarchy of Eagles coaches and where do you think he could go by the end of his career? Yeah, I don't really like comparing uh, Simpson to, to, to previous coaches and comparing coaches across eras in general. I think 
he stands well in his own right. He's had a great impact on the culture of the club, the whole friends, families, flags. It's a fantastic club, the, the way the players um, handle themselves on and off field. I'm sure it's had a great impact in being able to retain players, which is always going to be a problem for West Coast if we're getting guys in from interstate. And I'm sure the culture that he's helped build around the club have really helped that. And as you say, he's a young man. Um, He's got plenty of credits in the bank with the players, with the fans. So, yeah, he he could end up surpassing those guys ahead of him. I'd I'd still say Malthouse is probably the the best coach we've had just because of the level of success and, and... Warsfold's record's probably a bit – he was a premiership coach, but so much of his legacy is what it was as a player as well. But Simpson coming in as someone completely new to the club, I think he's done a fantastic job and he's really stamped his mark on the club and long may it continue. Moving on to the main event of the week, it is a 2018 grand final rematch. It's actually turned into quite a solid little rivalry, one of – Born more out of, I think, mutual respect than any sort of hatred, but certainly must-see TV. This Sunday, 1.35pm, the West Coast Eagles host Collingwood at Optus Stadium. KK, there are fans back at the footy. None of this, it's Frio's home game crap anymore. I said it's a spectacle to see at TV. It's also a spectacle to see at the stadium. We could have a massive, massive game on our hands this Sunday. Yeah, I really enjoyed the Pies games over the last few years. They've We've had a cracking little rivalry with them. And, and like you say, there is a lot of respect between the clubs on field and off field. And it's, it's just good footy. And it's fantastic to see that you can actually enjoy it in front of a crowd. It feels almost normal again. So hope all our fans get along and boo their hearts out on Sunday and get us over the line because it's going to be a tough game. Once again this year, they're one of the, the top teams and you know they're always going to be up for a challenge. They don't really give you any any quarter in any game, Collingwood. They're a very well-drilled side and we'll have our work cut out for sure. Definitely one of the top teams on the season. But similarly, we are at a point in the season where it's it's surprisingly late in the year for the ladder to be as bunched up as it is. We normally see it separate out to a bit more of a degree than we've seen of late. Collingwood are just one draw ahead of us in the in the ladder. Now they've got a much better percentage as well, but very, very close record-wise. Talent-wise, we will see. But as we go into the game, we do, of course, KK have to start by naming our team. For myself, I think it's one change in, one change out, and that is the healthy Luke Shuey coming back in. Ainsworth has been really solid. I thought he played a decent game uh, against Fremantle. He knew his role. He was disciplined. He did exactly what he needed to do, but there's no shame in having to bow out when the captain is healthy and ready to come back in. Beyond that, presuming health, presuming there's no late changes or little niggles that we don't really know about, I think Archie's a test, but hopefully he's getting up. For me, KK, one change in, one change out. Shuey for Ainsworth. What do you say on that front? Obvious choice, isn't it? Uh, Ainsworth, I mean... Pretty impressed with him. He hasn't got huge numbers, but I, I can't really recall him making any mistakes either. I think he's just come in in a difficult spot when you're the, the new midfielder on the block and you're replacing the captain. You're not going to necessarily see too much of the ball, but he's done he's done everything that he's been asked of him. And it's a bit bit of a shame he has to go out, but as you say, you can't leave someone of Shuey's calibre out when, when he's fit. I, I agree if, if Archie's fit that he plays. If he's not, then don't know... Um, we don't really have a ready-made replacement. That's the one area of the field where we've got the most absentees at the moment. And it, it might be that Ainsworth would retain his spot and we shuffle things around. I think the main thing we need to do with 
Shiri is we need to get keep our midfield looking like it has the last few weeks and not how it was at the start of the season where we had all the talent but they just weren't producing as a team and there's far smarter people employed by the club than me that can work all that sort of stuff out as to how to how to keep Sheed and Redden who have really lifted in the last few weeks up to that level and as well as integrate Shuey back into that that midfield mix. The one area I think that may throw up a, a selection or curveball at selection let's say is that ruck battle. So let's go and, and get into this matchup now. We'll go through line by line, but I think the, the, the flagship matchup that we talk about when we talk about West Coast Collingwood at the moment has to be Nick Natanui against Brody Grundy. Collingwood are first in the league in disposals, first in hitouts as well. A really good defense. They allow the fewest points. They allow the fewest inside 50s as well. They control the game very nicely. The Eagles, of course, like to control the game as well. So there's a bit of a styles clash there, and it all starts with the two big guys in the center circle. Do you think there's a chance the Eagles will make a bit of an interesting selection uh, at match committee and bring in a much more designated backup Ruckman? Or do you think they're going to keep plugging away with Oscar Allen against Brody Grundy for stretches? Well, there's a possible hint that I think Vardy was one of the emergencies last week. So they're thinking that way, but I reckon they'll back themselves in. I mean, they might be a bit scarred by the lack of impact that Hickey had last time he played. And also I think... When you're up against the Ruckman that's as good as Grundy and you've got Oscar Allen in there, it's, it's kind of a bit easier because you pretty much know that Grundy is going to dominate that battle and he can react to it the way that teams, when Natanui's in there against one of their backup Ruckman, they just go so defensive and just purely try and stop a quick clearance for us. So I think as long as we're smart in that way and we don't get too aggressive with our midfielders when Allen's in there against Grundy, we'll, we'll be fine. And at the end of the day, we'll back ourselves in. We're going to trust what Alan will give us all over the ground to be the best overall impact compared to someone like Hickey that might hold his own in the ruck. I mean, Grundy could dominate if we put Hickey or Vardy in the, the ruck anyway, and then we're going to lose Alan's talent up forward. So I think they'll stick with what they've got. Now that ruck battle, of course, then leads into the midfield battle. The Pies, not entirely at full strength there. They're without beams. They're also without side bottoms still. But we have seen them add Adam Trelaw back into the mix over the last few weeks. And KK, he is in red-hot form, even in the shortened quarters, if you don't mind, just racking up the disposals. He leads the league in kicks per game, in handballs per game, in disposals per game, very obviously. And then also inside 50s per game. So they're getting Trelaw the footy, and he is really driving them. We've seen the Pies lose a couple of key players at all ends of the field and in their midfield. But despite that, Trelaw just keeps on keeping on and really firing them to the ascendancy. How do we go about tackling Adam Trelaw this week? Well, maybe we do get, say, either Yo or, or Redden to play a bit of a defensive role on him. I think one of the issues we had at the start of the season when we had Kelly, Shuey and Yo in the midfield there, they're all just... Uh, dominant ball winners and no one was sort of doing the dirty stuff and maybe if we assign one of them and yeah would be the obvious choice to to be a more defensive role on Trelaw that would actually give the whole mix in the midfield better I think we do need to do something specific about it I don't think going head-to-head is is really going to work and when they've got such a, a slant towards one guy who's getting all the possessions if we can shut him down and with no side bottom in there, it's going to put a lot of pressure on the rest of their midfielders to to step up. Yeah, of course, they've still got a lot of talent in there, even 
around Trelaw of Pendlebury as well in the middle who's given us fits over the last couple of years. But it is a team that we're very familiar with. They they haven't changed a lot in terms of how they play. It's it's very much still that 2018-2019 Collingwood that we know and, and love, I suppose you could say, or at the very least respect. Uh, if we swing our attention to their forward line, this is the area that we've always tried to exploit with the Pies. No Jagoe for them this week following the injury. They have Mason Cox, who is just the greatest punchline in football, a late out last week, but pretty much their preferred option as the key forward. They've got uh, Brody Majacek as well, who I think is a little bit underrated on our board. I've seen some people sort of criticize him and slam him, but he, he is capable of kicking a bag on his day, which the Eagles have found out in the past. The defense for us has been the strength. The forward line for Collingwood has been the weakness, and they've just lost Dugowie, who's, I think, by and large, their best forward in, in pretty much all circumstance. So, KK, is there a way we can exploit that this week, given that we know the Eagles will probably have the ascendancy in that part of the field? I think that's back to what we said before about our defense. We, we've got to be be aggressive, disrupt that ball coming in, and that will, that will allow... Our, our guys to, to to read the play down back and do what they normally do. Although, if, if we can't do that, I don't think we should have any fears, particularly about one-on-one matchups. As you say, if you just look on purely across the lines of their forward line and our defence, for man, we're we're better than them. So I think there's a number of ways that we can beat them. But my preference would be keep doing what we're doing, stop the ball or just at least disrupt it, hide the ground, get some dirty ball coming in. And then our guys are are so good at, at reading that uh, better than their forwards and and mopping it all up. It's always a way, isn't it? Like good defence doesn't start with your defence; it starts right across the ground, and that that's the way we need to approach it. Yeah, that was an issue in the early stages of the season. It was that we were effectively hanging our own defence out to dry by not having that ground level pressure up forward and really letting them cut through the midfield. And it, as we even saw against Fremantle. Even on our best day as a group of defenders, if you turn the ball over in the wrong way or if you turn it over at the wrong time, if you don't pressure a team rebounding off half-back, it does leave your defenders one-on-one very much exposed. Although I I think you touched on it there. I actually really do like our one-on-one matchups in defence. Pretty much circle Meyer check and don't let anything silly happen with the guys like Stevenson, for example, where you know they might kick two in the first quarter and get really hot, get around it. So as long as you can sort of keep the guys quiet for a longer period of time to start the game, fingers crossed we'll see everything uh, work out for the Eagles there. At the other side of the field, this is the real strength of Collingwood. They've got the ruck domination. They've got a really nice midfield. And the back line, KK, is one of the best, if not the best, in football. They've lost Jeremy Howe in recent weeks, so it's not as good as it once was, but you still look at the names. You've got Crisp, Roughhead, uh, Quaino's been really impressive in the last little while, Maynard, Darcy Moore's had his days against us as well, and then everybody's best mate, Chris Main. The back line looks great on paper. The Eagles forward line looks pretty damn good on paper as well. We've seen Kennedy start to turn a corner. The Smalls are a little bit quiet for us. Darling's maybe figuring it out, but he's a bit quiet for us. This is a tough group to try and turn it around against. Is it something we can reasonably expect this week? Well, if you look at the one area of the ground where we've got the most scope for improvements, it's, it's got to be the small forwards. Uh, Ryan and Cripps have been a bit quiet. Cripps in particular has had good success against Collingwood in the past. He seems to like playing them, so hopefully that'll be the catalyst he needs. I think Darling really never really settled in the hub. I think when Simpson sort of alluded to those senior players that didn't manage it. I'm sure he's one of the ones that he's thinking of. So now 
back in Perth, second game, he, he did show a lot more aggression and confidence last week, and I'm hoping he can take that take that on. Um, but as you say, we, we're not going to dominate their defence. It is their their strength, and we've just got to really get our smalls to step up, lock the ball in there, and just beat them by weight of numbers, really. All right, KK, it is time for us to step up and make the call. The Eagles could get everything back on track and confirm that, yes, we are back in 2020. Hell, we could even jump the Pies on the ladder this week with a victory. Now, with all that said, the Pies are a very good team. It would be a statement win. They have been in Perth now for a week. They're probably pretty settled. They're well-rested. It's a massive clash for the season, for the state, for footy fans in general. Do you think the Eagles will come out firing this Sunday? Yes, I do. I'm willing to put my heart on the line and get it broken again by believing, but I think we will. Um, It's going to be a grime. We know it's going to be a big game against Collingwood. I really like the fact that it's a day game. We didn't get any of them last year, and I think our, our best, our footy really suits those daytime conditions, although it does look like there's a chance of rain in Perth on Sunday. Hopefully that that goes away. Yeah, as you say, it's a statement game. We're going to learn a lot about our season from this game. You can make all the excuses in the world for some of our poor performances in the hub, but that's all out the window. If we are going to do anything this season, these are the kind of teams that we need to, to make our mark on. As you say, we don't want to go a game and a half behind Collingwood. We want to be ahead of them at the end of this game. And I do think we will. You said something very interesting there, KK. I actually wasn't going to bring it up, but you said something that twitched it in me, so I'm going with it. Leeds United are the champions, and they are going back to the Premier League. And there is a favourite tweet of mine that I just retweet as often as possible. You pretty much perfectly nailed it there as well. Somebody says, pretty much after we win any game, it is with great regret that I must inform you all, I have started to believe. And I have also started to believe this week. If the Eagles can get it done against the Pies, I think they will. It is a massive statement. We are fully back. We're at home for the next month still, and we can really start to charge up what is a very, very compressed ladder. If we can get on top of this and maybe get a game or two clear, there is no telling how important that will be later on in the season. So it's not going to be easy. The Grundy versus Nick Nat matchup is must-watch. There's plenty of guys we still need to shut down. There's plenty of reason to be encouraged and discouraged to the same token. It'll be an awesome fight, but I cannot wait to see the Eagles pull out a victory by 12 points. Now, best on ground for you, KK. Who is going to stand out as the Eagles romp home to a very, very critical victory? Yeah, I forgot to do a margin, so I'll go a bit under you and say eight points for an Eagles win. Best on ground for the Eagles is going to be Tim Kelly. I think he's going to show this week that he was the reason uh, why we... Didn't go all the way last year, and he was the, the missing ingredient. So this is the one. This is the game he's going to step up and show why we paid all, all those draft picks for him. I just wanted to say, um, with the ladder um, congestion as well, I don't know what the finals are going to look like, but it seems almost certain at this stage there'll be some kind of hub situation for finals. There won't be the normal fly in, fly out. So fourth might end up being exactly the same as first, and that's going to be a, a key thing just to get that double chance. We don't. We don't need to finish first, and we're probably not going to with the losses we've already had, but but, but fourth is, is going to be massive. Yeah, indeed, but it all does, in fact, start this weekend. We've got to get it done against Collingwood. These are the games we have to start ticking off. You look at the ladder... 
Brisbane, Port Adelaide up ahead. We've already lost to them. So the Collingwood game and in future when it comes time for the Richmond game as well, those are the ones. We've got the Cats coming up shortly. Those are the sorts of games that are really going to make our statement on the year and say that, yes, we are back. For myself, best on ground, Andrew Gaff. I thought he was in great form against Fremantle. Kennedy I love, but boy, it would have been funny if Gaff got the medal. Uh, you look at his numbers against Collingwood last year. He had 32 touches against the Pies and 35 in the previous game as well. That was his first game back from the suspension. Throwing it back to 2018, he had 30 touches against the Pies as well. You also look at his numbers when our midfield was at full strength or had the, the same amount of numbers as it's about to, presuming Shuey comes in. So you look, he had 30 against Melbourne, 29 against Gold Coast, 30 against Brisbane as well, 27 against Port. So the one thing we know is no matter what, Andrew Gaff is going to find the footy. Some clubs have started to put a bit of time into him over the last few weeks. I don't know that Collingwood are going to go out of their way to do so. I think they'll try and really hit us hard at the coalface. And Gaffey is going to absolutely run wild on those Optus Stadium wings. It's going to be a joy to watch. Eagles are going to win. I can't bloody wait. All right, guys, that will do it from us for the week. KK, as always, fantastic to have you back on the pod. Thanks very much for coming on the show. No problem. Um, yeah, hope you enjoy the game on the weekend. I assume you're going. I am. I am going. It'll be great. I've been warming up. It's uh, honey and lemon tea all week, just warming up the old vocal cords. Going to have a good old boot. Actually, I'll tell you what, one thing. We didn't touch on this in the Collingwood section just now. Did you see the tweet that the official Collingwood Magpies Twitter account sent out last week with regards to Scott Pendlebury? I feel I did, but I can't remember it now. Oh, boy. All right. I'll make, I'll make sure you and he remember it. Collingwood have sent out the softest tweet oh, yes, I have ever yes. seen in my entire life. There was a GIF. It didn't even have... It wasn't a video, so it didn't have audio. So I'm taking their word for it. But there was a GIF of Pendles putting his shoe on or something. And the caption said, like, oh... The crowd here is booing Scott Pendlebury for putting their shoe for putting his shoe on. You don't boo a champion, and I just wanted to say, well, first of all, hold on. Like this is the club that has booed pretty much every Eagles player that has touched the ball since 2018. But whatever. Also, Collingwood, settle down, guys. Your crowd doesn't exactly have the best history with a number of things that are far too heavy to touch on in this podcast. But let's be honest, I wouldn't go the high road on the crowd. And third of all. Are you that stupid that you would beg to not have Scott Pendlebury booed the week before Eagles games are allowed back in Optus Stadium? Like, I hope, I hope Scott Pendlebury turns up ready to roll because I will. I can promise you that. What an insane thing to do. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is quite funny. Yeah, no, boo hard. Boo long, boo hard. Absolutely. Can't wait. It's fantastic to be back at the footy. Fantastic to talk to you this week. And thanks very much to everybody for listening, sending in your questions, following us on Twitter, iTunes, Big Footy, Spotify, all that usual stuff that I always beg you about. Thanks for putting up with the begging as well, by the way. We will talk to you next week. We're going to recap a massive statement win over the Pies that is coming. We're going to turn our attention ahead to a very, very critical game yet again with the Cats, the Tim Kelly Derby back at Optus Stadium. It'll be great to see. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks very much for listening, and we will chat soon. Bye now. Bye for now.